0: Welcome to English 3328 Masterpieces of British Literature from the 19th century to the present. I'm your teacher. I'm Dr. Mark Womack and today I'm going to be going over the syllabus with you and give you an outline of the course and what you can expect. Uh, So you'll need to follow along with me on the syllabus and to get to the syllabus you'll need to get to the class website. Uh, You can access the syllabus on Blackboard. Uh, You should know how to get to that. Uh, Also it's on the class website, which is drmarkwomack.com, that's drmarkwomack dot com slash engl 3328 uh, If you go there, you'll find all of the material for the course. Uh, it's got the, the syllabus, it'll have the assignment sheets, handouts, everything that we'll need for the class. Uh, so I'm just going to go through the syllabus with you now. Again, I'm the professor. I'm Dr. Mark Wamack. My email is easy to remember if you know my name. It's drmarkwomack at gmail.com. Uh, since this is a uh, distance learning class, I will not have uh, on-campus office hours, uh, but I will be available for office hours on Skype, and I'll do those by appointment. Uh, I've found it's easier to uh, accommodate your schedule than try to make up one of mine and be diligently on Skype for that time during the week. So if you need to uh, talk to me one-on-one, I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, Just give me an email and let me know when we can get together, and uh, we can uh, have office hours on Skype. Uh, now as I've mentioned the, the format for this class is a distance learning course. That means there's no face-to-face classroom meetings on campus. Uh, everything will be done you will have the everything will be done online. Uh, you will listen to the lectures just as you're listening to this uh, and the uh, web page for those to access those is slow, www.brit-reading.com reading dot slash Brit lit dash spelled out. Uh, all of the lectures for the class will be available there. Uh, now a big advantage of doing a class this way is that You can kind of listen to the lectures at your own pace. Uh, It gives you a lot of flexibility in when during the day you want to listen to them. If you want to listen to them in big batches all at once, that's fine too. Uh, And that makes it very easy to kind of accommodate your schedule. But one disadvantage of that is that it becomes very easy to fall behind so, as you'll see on the syllabus, I've given a uh, a suggested schedule. Uh, basically, I'd like you to listen to three lectures a week, as if this were a regular Monday, Wednesday, Friday class. Uh, as long as you keep up roughly with that, you'll think you'll be doing very, very well. Uh, again, if you have questions for me, you can use my email address uh, or talk to me on Skype. I will also be monitoring and maybe occasionally posting on the Blackboard discussion forums. Uh, I would uh, urge you not to use the the email that is inside of Blackboard to contact me. I don't check that regularly, and your message is likely to go unnoticed for a very long time if you do that. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the course itself. Uh, this is a survey of British literature of the uh, 19th 20th and 21st century, uh, it's going to introduce you to major works of British literature from that period. And my approach is uh, uh, to study these literary texts as literary texts, that is, works that are made of words, verbal art, that is intended to delight its readers. Uh, That's at least one definition of what literature is, and that's how I'll primarily be talking about the text that we uh, analyze in this class. I'm not primarily looking at these texts as historical documents. Uh, That's a perfectly valid way to to do literary study, but I'm more interested in the kind of the intrinsic, uh, formal character of the literature rather than its historical background, So that means that we're going to spend almost all of our time in class looking and analyzing specific passages in great detail. Uh, And that means it's a good idea to have your texts in front of you when you're listening to the lectures. I'm going to refer constantly to specific things in the text, and it's a lot clearer if you've got that text in front of you. Uh, We're going to be thinking about that text, how it works on us, how it works on our minds, how it works on our ears, how it, uh, uh, what it does. Uh, and uh, one benefit of this, I hope, is that the course will give you an opportunity to learn how to read literature very carefully, very closely, and how to write about it very precisely and very clearly. Now I don't organize the course around any particular themes, uh, thematic organizations, a perfectly fine way to uh, organize a course like this. It's you know you could do uh, the the industrial re- reactions to modernity or uh, a general theme like love or uh, colonialism, all kinds of themes that you could do, uh, but I tend to take the uh, texts – you know, on their own terms and not try to find an overarching theme to unite them all. But there are a couple of critical questions that I'm going to be returning to uh, in one way or another throughout the class. And the first is, why have these works persisted in our culture for so long? What makes them classics? Why are we still, why are they still published in the Norton Anthology? Why are we still reading them, you know, a hundred years after they were written? And the second major question is, how do the writers manipulate the resources of language to shape our experience as readers? That is, questions about literary craft. How are these pieces of writing, these words put together in a way that is impactful to us? And as you'll see, I think that those those two questions are actually very closely related. That the stuff that we like The stuff persists in our culture because it's very well made, and I hope that we'll uh, see examples of that throughout the semester. Now, the texts for the class, there are two of them. The primary text is the Norton Anthology of English Literature, Volume 2, and it's in its ninth edition. Uh, you can. There are links to uh, get that on the website. Uh, you can order it from Amazon. You can get it from the bookstore, uh, wherever you need to get it. Uh, the other text that we'll be reading is Jane Austen's novel *Pride and Prejudice*. Uh, now, I have for the class. I have ordered the Norton Critical Edition of *Pride and Prejudice*, uh, but you can use another edition if you want. That's fine. But make sure you've got an edition that has useful annotations in it. Uh, Now, for this, for Pride and Prejudice, and actually for a lot of the texts that we're reading, you can find a free version online. Uh, But the problem with doing that is that those versions don't have any what scholars call apparatus there they haven't been carefully edited there's no foot there are no footnotes there are no introductions you're kind of at sea and especially with texts the kind of texts we're reading which are very complicated and historically distant from us it helps a lot to have those footnotes to help guide your reading uh so please do use uh, the The Norton Anthology, rather than just you know using Google and finding a free version of the text, uh, it will enhance your experience enormously. Uh, now, you may find an earlier edition of the Norton Anthology. Uh, that will be okay for most of the things that we're reading, you'll find. But there are some texts that are have been added just for this latest edition. Uh, for example, uh, Virginia Woolf's novel, Mrs. Dalloway, appears in the ninth edition, but it does not appear in any previous edition. So if you got a previous edition, you would also have to buy a a copy of Mrs. Dalloway. Uh, And there are several other texts like that. Uh, But for the most part, you could probably get by with uh, an earlier uh, edition of the Norton Anthology. Now, let me go over the basic assignments for the class. Uh, First of all, you're going to have 10 brief stylistic analyses that you're going to write. These will be an analysis of some of the texts that we've discussed in class. Uh, And I'll go over, actually, I'll go over all of these assignments in much greater detail later. Uh, So you have the stylistic analyses, and those will count 20% of your grade. Then you have two critical essays. Each of those will be 25% of your grade. Uh, The first critical essay, which I will be discussing uh, in in some detail in in the next lecture, uh, will be about analyzing a 19th century sonnet. Uh, The second essay will be analyzing the first chapter of a classic British novel. And again, more details to follow. There will also be a comprehensive final exam, Uh, You will take that online on Blackboard. Uh, You'll also be submitting your papers on Blackboard through Turnitin. Uh, The exam and the materials for it will all come directly from the readings and from the lectures. So if you do the reading and you pay attention to the lectures, you should do very well. If you don't, it might be a problem. Uh, The final exam will be 30% of your final grade. Now, I don't assign extra credit or makeup work. Uh, I mean, you, you can ask if you like, but I've been teaching a long time and haven't done it yet, so odds are against you. Uh, I should tell you that failure to complete any assignment can result in a failing grade for the course. It's uh, when you have just four parts of your grade, any one of them can really knock you for a loop. So you need to, uh, to turn in everything. Uh, again, all of the work will be turned in through, Blacklo- through Blackboard online. Assignments that aren't submitted on time get a zero. Uh, again, I don't give extra credit or makeup work. If you have a an issue with uh, the grade on an assignment, I would ask you to wait at least 48 hours after you've received the grade to talk to me about it. Uh, we'll, I only talk in grade to about people's grades in private. That's kind of easy in this class because there's no public meeting place for us to talk about them. Uh, but I ask you to wait 48 hours because I find that what happens sometimes people get upset about a grade that they have and they have an emotional reaction. And if they just lash out, it's not very helpful for either of us. But if you take some time and look over the assignment, see what the grade was, perhaps read my comments on your assignment, uh, and then you can come to me. Usually we both have uh, cooler heads at that point. Now, this very rarely happens, but that's just a policy in case it does. Uh, Now, your grade will be uh, on a 10-point grading scale. So 90 to 100 is an A, 80 to 90 is a B. uh, uh, And I give the specific numerical values for letter grades on the syllabus. So you can see exactly the difference between a B, B and a B plus or, or all of that. Uh, so that's how I, and I put that all in a spreadsheet. It does all the math for me, thank goodness. Um, let me go over uh, the stylistic analyses, I'll give you some more a, a detail on that. And I give a quick overview of the stylistic analyses on the syllabus, but why don't you look at the actual assignment sheet for stylistic analyses? You'll find it on the website under Assignments, uh, Stylistic Analyses. Uh, Throughout the semester, you're going to write 10 brief analyses. By brief, I mean uh, about one typed page, under 300 words and you're going to be talking about specific stylistic choices in the works that we cover in class. Uh, You can choose uh, whichever works you want to analyze, but you have to be sure that you have 10 analyses by the end of the semester. Now, for each analysis, I would like you to focus on a few lines from one of the assigned texts and focus on some very particular linguistic detail in them. It might be an unusual word choice or a, a striking metaphor or an, uh, an interesting literary allusion. Uh, it might be in a poem, the way that they use rhyme or meter. Uh, and take that particular linguistic detail and give me your insights into what that specific detail, that nuance of style, is doing for a reader. How does it enhance the work that it's in? Uh, begin by quoting the text you're going to analyze. Again, you're, you're going to have a small section, so it'll e- be easy to quote it all. Then begin analysis with a clear thesis statement. You want your reader to know what element of the passage you're going to be analyzing. And then develop the analysis point by point, constantly referring to the text itself. Now, everything that you say in the analysis needs to relate directly to the actual words of the text. This is not about kind of, well, this kind of reminded me of my grandmother. Well, uh, that's very nice, but I want you to talk about what the actual words are doing. Uh, Don't get sidetracked. Don't talk about big themes. Talk about specific words. Uh, Think about how the author has crafted this material, how they've shaped and arranged the language. Remember, in these, I'm looking for very fine-grained analysis, no big mushy generalizations. Now, I've given you on the stylistic analysis uh, assignment sheet a sample uh, of what I'm looking for. So that will give you some uh, model that you can use for your own analyses. Now, the stylistic analyses, unlike everything else in the class, will not receive letter grades. Uh, I'm going to grade them basically on a credit, no credit basis. So if you submit all 10 analyses, and, you know, they're actually good faith analyses. They're actually analysis of something we've talked about in class and don't kind of get talking about your dog or something. Um, You will get full credit, 100% for the assignment. Uh, You will post those stylistic analyses in the journal component of Blackboard. Uh, There's a link set up there. It should be very easy to find. Now, do not submit your analyses as attached files. Uh, the problem with doing that is that it makes extra step for me to, I have to go to your analysis and then I have to download it. And then I have to make sure that I can read it. Sometimes people do it in file formats that I can't read and I get grumpy and you, nobody wants that. Uh, so just type them. I mean, if you want to, you can type them out separately, but then paste them into the actual journal component of Blackboard, not uh, linking them as a, a an attached file. Now, again, because this is a distance learning class and I want it to be flexible for you, I haven't set specific deadlines for the individual analyses. Uh, but I would strongly encourage you to get in the habit of submitting them at regular intervals throughout the semester. Uh, don't wait to the last minute and try to write and submit all ten. Um, that will be that will be a headache for everybody, uh, and I won't accept any analyses that are come after the final deadline. And the final deadline will be the last day of class uh, this semester. That's May the first. So all of them have to be in by then. Now the sample you'll see the sample stylistic analysis that I gave you. Uh, I take uh, the first sentence of Tolkien's novel, The Lord of the Rings. When Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would celebrate his eleventy birthday with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. And then in the opening paragraph, I tell you where the quote came from and what it's, uh, who wrote it. And I also tell you what I'm going to focus on. I'm focusing on the word eleventy first. Why did he say that instead of 111th? What does that word choice do for a reader? So I answer, I begin the uh, analysis with a clear focus and a question that I'm going to address. And then paragraph by paragraph, I talk about what that element is doing. Uh, First of all, I talk about how it's not confusing, how it's very easy for us to parse or understand, uh, and that which is, is good, it doesn't slow us down. Uh, but more positively, in the second paragraph, I say, well, it, ta- it does take a little bit, you have to kind of puzzle it out, but puzzling things out that way is kind of fun for a reader. I mean, that's one of the things we like about literature is that it makes our brains work in a particular way, and 111st does that. And finally, in the third paragraph in the next paragraph, I say it it helps create a sense draw you into the world of the story. It's like it's creating its own jargon, its own language that we're becoming attuned to, and that helps create the, the world building that Tolkien is so famous for. Then in the last paragraph, I sum everything up uh, I say the uh, the word eleven first a new but easily grasped word, subtly helps to set the tone for the story. It delights us and helps immerse us in the fantasy world of Middle Earth. So that's, again, a simple model for how you can write your own stylistic analyses. You'll need to do 10 of those by the end of the semester. Now, I'll be talking in much greater detail about the critical essays. I'll, I'll discuss the first uh, critical essay uh, on analyzing a 19th century sonnet in the next lecture. Uh, And for the final exam, let me remind you that will be uh, available on the Saturday of finals, Saturday, May the 6th. You'll have 24 hours in which to log in and do it. When you log in, you'll have three hours to complete the exam. Uh, Now, on the honor system, I'm asking that you use your textbooks during the exam, but no other materials. Uh, Obviously, I can't prevent you from doing that. But also the textbook is really going to be all that you're going to need and all that will really be helpful. The format for the exam will be uh, short writing short essay answers. You're going to have four questions that you're going to, four essays that you're going to write. And for each of those essays, you'll have a choice of three specific topics to write on. Uh, so, And the the questions will cover the range of of text that we've uh, talked about throughout the semester it's comprehensive now you'll see that I have a schedule of lectures readings, and assignments. Uh, this again is the uh, suggested you may go a little faster or a little slower than this or uh, but it' it stay generally on pace here uh, in each uh, each for each day, I tell you what you need to read for that day's lecture. so for the uh, next lecture. Uh, it's actually a very simple reading assignment. You just have two rena- two romantic sonnets to read. Uh, Wordsworth's uh, composed upon Westminster Bridge and John Keats on first looking into Chapman's Homer. Uh, so we'll be talking about those two texts and also about your first writing assignment on the next time. And you can go through and see week by week, you know, lecture by lecture, what we're going to be doing. I would draw your attention to a couple of things here. First of all, uh, in several places, I, I say uh, we're reading a poet's selected poems, but I don't tell you what they are. Well, if you scroll all the way down past the uh, the syllabus, you'll see I have a whole page of selected poems. And here I've given you the specific poems that we'll be reading by those authors. I just separated it out this way because it, it, it was a lot less cluttered. Um, but that that way you'll know specifically what poems we're reading for uh, particular authors. Uh, another thing that you might notice is that the selections are fairly small. That is, we're not covering a huge amount of text for each lecture. That's by design. But because I like to kind of dig in deep and, and, and rather than try to cover a whole lot of ground. Uh, so it, it will be easy to do the reading, but you need to do the reading very carefully and very closely. Uh, you just And this is not kind of skimming reading. You need to read them, read the footnotes, think about them, probably reread them. Uh, it, it's a more intensive reading, even if it, it's not extensive reading. Uh, but you'll see all of the, the things are here. Uh, another thing I would point out to you is the due dates for the essays. They're very clearly marked here, uh, and even though there is a great deal of leeway and in, in flexibility in the schedule, those dates are set. So you need to turn in your first essay and your second essay and your uh, 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 stylistic analyses and the final exam. All of those are set dates that you have to follow. Now, on the final page, I, I have a couple of... Uh, boilerplate bureaucratic things. Uh, we've got the withdrawal policy. Uh, basically you, if you don't withdraw by April the 4th, this semester, uh, you will, uh, you will have to get a grade in the class. You can't get a W for the class. So if, if that happens to you, you get behind or you need to withdraw from the class, please bear that date in mind. Uh, Then there's the policy on incomplete grades, uh, and it goes into great detail about what you need to do to get an incomplete in the class. Uh, uh, Feel free to read that, but I would also tell you that I have never granted an incomplete to anyone in this class. Uh, So you would be the first if that happened. It happens very rarely, uh, and the administration would really rather us not do it, and it's a pain because you've got that I... on your transcript hanging over you. Uh, So try to avoid that. I'm sure that you will. Uh, Finally, I just say that I I may need to revise or update some of these policies, um, and I just give myself the right to do that. Now, if you have any questions about any of the policies on the syllabus or anything else about the syllabus, uh, again, feel free to email me and let me know about them. The last thing that I would like to do for this, this uh, class is to tell you a little bit about your assignment for next time. Uh, again, there are two sonnets that you're reading, one by William Wordsworth, one by John Keats. And these are going to be our introduction into Romanticism. Uh, that's the first major period. There are three periods that we're going to be discussing in this class, uh, ro- the Romantic Period period the Victorian period, and the modernist period. Uh, so Romanticism was it's best to think of it as kind of a, a reaction against the previous uh, literary period, which was the age of neoclassicism. It's sometimes called the age of reason. This is when Alexander Pope was writing these very tightly constructed heroic couplets um, And the Romantics reacted against that uh, in all kinds of ways. The Romantics valued emotion over reason. They said, well, yes, reason's all well and good, but we've lost touch with our human emotions. Uh, They were more interested in the sense, sensual experience, an intellectual experience. That is how, that's why, you know, the romantic poets are always out in nature seeing Mm. things, feeling things, uh, hearing things, touching things, um, and only secondarily thinking about things. Uh, Romanticism tended to be very introspective. It was about self-examination. It's a lot of navel-gazing in romanticism, uh, looking at your own inner struggles. And our idea about the, uh, the the poet or the artist as a creative genius really comes out of Romanticism. That uh, they created the idea of the, the the artistic genius who was a unique individual who was uh, uh, following what was in his soul, in his heart, and not, you know, beholden to some prior uh, ideas or traditions. Uh, a very to a very large extent, what we think of when we think about poetry today comes from the romantics and it's very different from the earlier traditions of poetry if, if you took the uh, the first half of this course and, and uh, the Britlet one uh, things that uh, Chaucer or Shakespeare or Milton thought about poetry were very different they didn 't think of themselves as individual, unique, introspective, troubled geniuses. They thought of themselves as craftsmen. Um, and our modern ideas about originality really come from the Romantics. They really value, prized originality over anything else. So if it was new and different, and we'll see that that, that uh, developed even more in, in the modernist period. And also a, a strong focus on the imagination uh, again, the individual poet's imagination creating something. The idea of the poet as a creator uh, was very strong in in the Romantic period. And I want you to think as you're reading the, the these two Romantic sonnets, oh, by the way, the term Romanticism was not a label that any of the Romantic poets applied to themselves. It was repli- applied later in the Victorian period to them. That's very common. You know, the people in the Middle Ages didn't think of themselves as people in the Middle Ages. We call them that afterwards. And the Romantics didn't think of themselves as Romantics at the time. But think about the, these two Romantic sonnets and what is Romantic about them? Uh, how are they about emotion? How are they about the the sensory experience? How are they about introspection and originality? Uh, Think about how maybe they're different than earlier sonnets by Shakespeare or Sidney or Milton. Um, And so that's what I'd like you to focus on for next time. I also would ask you to look over the assignment sheet for essay one because I'll be going over that. And as luck would have it, that is an assignment about analyzing a sonnet. So we'll be talking quite a bit about the sonnet and uh, as a form and how to analyze it. And we'll be analyzing those two particular sonnets and uh, thinking about how they what they tell us about the nature of romantic poetry. All right. Well, I think that will do it for this first lecture. Uh, Thanks for your attention, and I'll talk to you next time.